back to Open Disclosure. Today is episode four, and we're going to be covering some of China's technology and science and all that fun stuff. We're going to be talking about whether China is currently a technological superpower or could be one in the future, or will be neither. So there's been a lot of talk recently about China and all their technological advances, things in science, and a whole bunch of activities that they uh, regularly show up in the news for. Uh, one of the most recent ones was China landing on the far side of the moon, which up until recently I didn't actually understand what they meant by that. But because the moon is tidlocked to Earth, the there's only one side of the moon that faces Earth at any given time. So to actually launch a satellite to the other side of the moon requires quite a feat of technology. Because once a aircraft or a satellite or anything of that sort goes to the other side of the moon, where we can't see, there's a loss of line of sight between Earth and that object, which means that we can't communicate with that object anymore. So in order for China to have actually launched uh, and landed on the other side of the moon, they had to actually put a satellite into what's called a halo orbit, which orbits the moon at a at an unusual angle that always is in contact or is visible to the Earth. And then from that point, the rover from uh, from the moon side can actually beam up its communications to the satellite, and then the satellite can relay it back to Earth. A really cool feat that they have completed. Many countries in the past have uh, been looking into doing this, but China is actually the first to go and do this. The reason why they want to go on the far side of the moon is because there's uh, there's a lot more information on that side of the moon. There's a much rougher terrain and there's more ancient material which can actually help with scientific discovery so they can find if there is or was uh, life on the moon at any point and uh, it also could lead to confirming that bombardment of asteroids on that side because since that side was exposed most often and has the roughest terrain from the bombardment it could lead to grounding the theory that asteroid bombardment can actually help lead to life. Another cool thing to note about that landing is that since they did have communication issues and it was harder to land within the rougher terrain, that the rover actually landed itself from about 100 meters above the surface. They had to, it had to detect a landing zone and it had to make sure that it was safe but while before being able to land, before they were able to communicate back to Earth what was going on. So that's just one of the technologies that China's been in the news about recently. They've also been in the news about a couple things we're going to talk about today, about 5G, artificial intelligence, some deep learning, and a whole bunch, a whole plethora of different skills that have been circulating frequently in the news. They have a lot of potential for all the technology that they have, but the biggest question we have is, are they the tech and science superpower of the world? Now, there are also a bunch of countries involved in similar type investments and research like the U.S. and the U.K. in particular, and they are also uh, what I would say is at the forefront of the new science and technology of the future. So, what else has China got that we've been keeping eyes on? Well, one of the biggest things recently has been this whole 5G ordeal with the new 5G networks that are being installed in various countries, including the U.S., Canada, and China as well. So right now, the biggest race for 5G is who can have the network first. Why is this important? It's because whoever has the most fully operational and uh, active network to begin has the starting point for anybody that wants to use 5G networks in the future. So, for example, if you have a 5G network in, say, China, 
and you have a company that wants to utilize a 5G type network, what you're going to do is you're going to probably set up shop in China to develop whatever it is that you want to use on the 5G network, whether that's autonomous vehicles, uh, like any kind of new uh, software for tracking drones or anything like that that require the extra capacity on a 5G network, that's where you would test it because they would have the most available resource. So right now it's a big race between who can get to it first because if U.S. can develop it first, then they attract those businesses to the U.S. If, you know, say the U.K. developed it first and so on and so on. So what is the big deal about 5G though in general? 5G is capable of transmitting huge volumes of data that is unusual to what we have right now, even on our regular 4G networks, on your cell phone and, and all that stuff. And it can be used in, in very specific ways to actually help with uh, more data-driven technologies that don't normally connect to networks. So that means like car sensors, roadside sensors, video cameras, things like that, that can actually communicate with a control center and send signals back and forth. And these 5G networks are designed for speeds that are 100 times faster than current speeds, and they eliminate processing delays. So, in essence, that means that they're designed to connect billions of devices, which already, since we're already in the age of the Internet of Things technologies, or IoT, it's going to spur on more involvement in IoT technologies. And these new networks don't help just uh, IoT technologies. One of the biggest proponents to using new 5G networks are actually autonomous vehicles. Uh, theoretically, if vehicles are able to communicate with a control center, like 5G networks are capable of, with multiple sensors and multiple vehicles uh, at the same time, then theoretically you could create and map an autonomous vehicle network that keep vehicles are actually able to communicate not only with each other, but with the road itself. So that means that we would be relying less on so much visual sensors on the cars as they do now, although that would still be existent, but more so dependent on sensors like uh, markers at the edge of roads saying that this is the end of the road, uh, markers in the settle as center lanes that actually indicate where the center of a lane is and turn lanes, etc., etc., and basically communicate traffic information back and forth. Now, China is trying to be on the forefront of this by getting ahead of it by offering serious government subsidies. So like in the case of China, they're actually offering up huge uh, swaths of RF spectrums that uh, would allow new companies and the government itself to build on these 5G networks. Unlike the US, where you would have a bidding war over a certain RF spectrum and there's no, uh, no benefits to getting these RF spectrums. So China is trying to position themselves ahead of ahead of the game by offering up these spectrums so that they are the first and encouraging more companies to get on board right away. Being the first in this deployment could mean that there's a competitive uh, advantage in the Internet of Things and cloud computing, equaling large profits and economic gains for China. So yeah, like I mentioned before, so companies that want to do things on the 5G network, especially with cloud computing and cloud-based servers, would be benefiting from these early networks being set up so they can test their equipment, build new programs, etc., etc. The U.S. is worried about being left behind, but so far, the U.S. is ahead in rolling out 5G networks city by city. But on the other hand, China has the ability to cover their entire country by 2023, which at that point, the U.S. would have only covered parts uh, of the country. So that's pretty much what the big deal about 5G networks is. Uh, as you can see, 
there is a lot of good reasons to be uh, a part of this technology. And there's also a good reason to be fighting to be the first. But again, it's not the only technology in the industry that is uh, a race, to say the least. We go on and we move into electric vehicles. And there is a lot of usage of electric vehicles in China. They actually offer free license plates for EVs or electric vehicles, as opposed to a $14,000 price tag for regular vehicles. China has a clear five-year plan that outlines the desire to become a tech leader by 2025, and they're pouring as much money as they can into that to make it happen. So comparing that to, say, the U.S. and Canada, and even the U.K. as well, those big technology fronts, is we don't see any competitive programs to that degree as of yet. Uh, recently, the Ontario government also announced that they were removing the rebates for energy-efficient vehicles or green vehicles and EVs. So we're kind of taking a step back in that sense. That being said, it doesn't mean we can't catch up later on. But as of yet, we're not quite at the point that China is at. Although China also has good reason to want to push these EV vehicles because, as we know, many of their major cities uh, suffer from severe smog and high pollution so that is something that they really want to address because it's detrimental to the health of their citizens and it's just not fun to live around and now we move on to some more in-depth topics in terms of technology and science there is a race that's going on behind the scenes i don't know if everyone's quite aware of it but most people that follow the tech industry and follow tech news and business news and all that stuff and even the mainstream media highlights this on occasion as well there is a huge race for AI-driven technologies, that's artificial intelligence, and a huge drive for quantum computing type technologies, which is a quite a cool advanced technology that we're going to talk about a little too. And basically, as it stands right now, we're looking into, or at least China is looking into having these AI chips, as opposed to our regular processing chips in your computer. These chips, instead of following the regular rules of your uh, the way your chips are made and designed, they actually will learn from themselves. This means that it could lead to smarter weapon systems, more cryptography, better cryptography, and uh, more powerful supercomputers down the line. China has an existing strength in this field as they're trying to pursue AI chips and they're trying to move away from a standard chip because those standard chips they have to buy from the US, which is the only place where actually produces these chips at this time, at least to the degree that China needs them. So these new AI chips will actually be super beneficial for them because they would give them a ground to have a leg up on to be able to produce them and sell them to the world. That being said, China also has a huge data set available to them that actually helps artificial intelligence learn. So that's kind of one of the caveats of artificial intelligence is that you need large amounts of data to actually teach artificial intelligence programs, computers, chips, etc. to be able to understand how to learn. So there's not just a, a component of it just doing everything on its own. It still needs to use data and compare those data sets so that it can make its own judgments based on existing data sets. So again, that poses a little bit of a problem in some cases, especially when you're talking about uh, self-driving cars and things, because if there's no data set available for, say, a specific roadside incident, it can actually confuse the computer because it doesn't know what to do and how to react in that situation. So the advantage that China has here when they're processing their chips is that because of the large amounts of data they have available, due, mainly due to their large population and uh, government control, is 
that they can actually teach these chips with much more information than other counterparts, say in the US and the UK. So basically, China just wants a leg up in this field. Right now, they're not in the top 15 of chip makers, as they do make some chips, but they don't make enough to sustain the kind of work that they're doing. So that being said, they uh, want to get to that point so they can utilize this AI uh, advantage in their favor. And this brings us on to another topic that's also a huge uh, race at the moment is quantum computing. Quantum computing is basically a special type of computing that as opposed to regular computing where everything's communicated in ones and zeros, this type of computing can actually transmit information in, in both a one and a zero form. And it sounds super complex. That's because it really is. I don't really understand a lot of it, but basically what it means is that when these computers transfer information between each other and even within the computer itself, it's actually able to hold both states of like, say it was yes and no, it can actually be yes and no at the same time. And then once it gets, uh, it, once it gets accepted by the receiving end of whatever it's sending to, it actually decrypts it into what it's supposed to be like, yes or no. So basically it's a really really interesting form of computing and it basically can make things unhackable because its ability to use two states at the same time makes it hard to intercept. So for example, they recently did an unhackable video conference with quantum computing technology out of China. And uh, it was done through the University of Science and Technology of China with one of the professors there. And it had encryption keys uh, distributed via satellite to remote locations in uh, quantum state. So basically what that means is that this professor set up these encryption keys and distributed them via satellite to different locations around the world. So what actually is really cool about it is that these keys, as they're being transmitted, are actually not interceptable. So if a hacker was to try and take these keys, which would allow you to like watch the video conference or anything like that, it would actually destroy what they call the quantum state of the data and it would actually erase the presence of the data and block access to the information. So a really cool step forward, especially when it comes to uh, an age where we need to be more uh, security conscious. If this becomes readily available, that could be a huge difference in the way we do things like even just financial transactions and day-to-day -day stuff. It could be very secure and very hard to get into. Now, that being said, even with it being a really interesting technology, it is still a new technology. It's an emerging technology, and it's still yet to be completely proven, but so far it's been promising, uh, and it could be proved to be an economic stronghold in the future. So far, as far as quantum computing goes between the U.S. and China, China is doing some pretty cool things when it comes to relating, uh, relaying information through quantum computing, like communications-type quantum computing, but they lack in the ability to actually have specific quantum computers. So in that sense, China is ahead sort of in one aspect, but they're behind in another aspect. The U.S. is still way uh, further ahead of them in terms of quantum computers. And as of yet, China's not anywhere near catching up to them. There is a desire also based on this, as I'm sure would make sense, is to build what they call a quantum Internet, which means that basically any transaction that you make on the Internet, anything that you go through and you search or you visit or whatever, any information, personal information, any of that sort would actually be effectively uh, encrypted every time you use the internet, which I think is really cool. 
quantum sensors as well, instead of, you know, just for everyday use for civilians and all that fun stuff can also be used to uh, help submarines navigate without using satellite signals. So it can also be used in Navy ships as well, just regular boats. And there's also an ability to use quantum technology to actually detect stealth aircraft, which kind of renders the stealth part, you know, useless. So this technology is pretty cool. It's pretty new. And obviously there's many reasons why countries want to be ahead of the game for it. But like I mentioned before, the U.S. is ahead of this in the quantum computing aspect, but behind in the uh, quantum communication aspect. So... That being said, I would have to say that the U.S. probably has the, the higher edge on this one, the leading edge, but the quantum communication part is pretty cool in itself as well. So with all these technologies in mind and the position that China and the U.S. have against each other, who is really at an advantage right now? Overall, China is pumping huge amounts of money into these tech industries, and they really want to get ahead, and they want to get ahead in the sciences as well. And one of the things I didn't quite mention here was CRISPR technologies that are used to uh, genetically modify uh, organisms, which could be potentially beneficial in the future. But there's been a lot of controversy around it recently, especially with uh, a Chinese scientist who went ahead and uh, used CRISPR techniques on uh, embryos without permission from the parents, which is obviously an ethical conundrum, especially when you're talking about science and technology. They have very specific ethical rules surrounding that kind of work. In terms of China being ahead of the U.S. or U.S. being ahead of China, it's important to note that China is a communist government. And since science is inherently cooperative and a very critical type of field, it's important to note that under a communist government, it can be hard to progress that way because they may not want to uh, allow cooperation between certain countries, certain groups of people. And on top of that, critical being critical of the government as a whole is not really lightly taken, so there could be restrictions on the way science is carried out in China. Because of this, it could prove as a problem for China to progress further, but the Chinese government seems to be keen to make itself known as a superpower, both in economy and uh, military, so they want to be the forefront. But in order to do so, they're going to have to give up some of that communist control aspect. China is very excited to be pursuing these fields because it will help them advance also militarily and they have increased their R&D spending quite heavily in the past few years and it probably won't slow down anytime soon. Um, it's kind of funny, I was reading an Economist article and it actually likens the advances in China to a civil servant just checking off items from a list of scientific status symbols like human spaceflight, check, most powerful supercomputer, check, largest radio telescope, check, vast genome sequencing, check, dark matter detectors, etc. So, like, it's kind of uh, amusing in that sense. It's that somebody at the government is supervising these technological and scientific advances with certain items on the list that they want to complete. Also, an interesting thing to note, recently there's been a news that uh, China has been superseding the U.S. in the world in terms of scientific papers that they've released. But it's also important to note that numbers do not necessarily state the quality of the work. There was an article published that reviewed these articles, these scientific papers, these white papers, and actually noted that even though there was an increase in Chinese papers in the, in the scientific community, that the quality of the work was only subpar for most of them. Also to China's disadvantage is that they've yet to have a significant scientific breakthrough, things like discovering gene sequencing and things that other countries have discovered in the past. But 
based on their current trajectory, this shouldn't be too far off from this stage. There are problems hindering China's ability to move forward in the sciences, and like that, like I said before, that's basically the the critical thinking aspect. Scientists are normally very critical, and in the case of being under the the Chinese microscope, so to speak, is that they would be more focused on pleasing their boss and reluctant to pursue anything that is inconvenient throughout the research, which could lead to potentially negative research outcomes. Uh, There was a survey at a Chinese university that actually stated that there was an excessive amount of government interference in scientific research and that the state can make statements that institutions are required to abide by and even teach, even if the statement is unfair or untrue. Getting jobs and interviews and grant money in the past in China were driven largely by who you know, as opposed to, you know, similar systems in the West, where there's like review panels, review boards, and all that kind of stuff. And it's not so common to be hired purely through who you know, although it's not like it doesn't happen, but it's just not as apparent. There is a uh, Natural Science Foundation of China that's attempting to squash this problem. So they are moving, they are taking steps in the right direction as a whole, but uh, it's still quite a long way to go. China may become a leader in science and technology one day, but there are many hurdles in the way right now, and significant science advancement within a communist regime is still relatively new. So because they do exist in a communist regime, we haven't really been able to categorize how far the scientific research and technological advances will be able to go basically under that communist microscope. It may prove to be very beneficial in the long run, but as of yet, we don't know. The other concern here, too, with these kind of advances in science and technology is that the Chinese government will use it to empower their military, but not only just their military, but also to try and oppress their own people. We haven't seen yet these signs, but it doesn't mean that it can't happen in the future, especially because of the type of government that is in power there. So basically, government pressure and interference will get in the way of scientific discovery and research because they'll pressure scientists to get to a solution without thoroughly thinking through the process and encouraging, maybe indirectly, the breaking of certain rules, as we've seen in that CRISPR experiment. So basically, there's a lot of stuff that we're yet to find out about how science, technology, and the like will will play out in China, but there is hope for them yet, and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing is pretty much up to how they end up using that power. As of now, though, China is not quite a superpower in terms of science and technology, And they still, like I mentioned before, have some ways to go, but they could get there eventually. Uh, Right now, we're seeing much more leadership, especially in the science and technology fields in the U.S. and the U.K. in particular. And those are some of the big tech drivers in this modern day economy. So that about covers our topics for today. I hope you join me next week for our next topic, which I will announce probably in the middle of this week. And don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those fun places. Feel free to leave us any comments or questions or anything that you'd like to have covered in future talks at opendisclosure at silversmedia.com, which is in the podcast link. So I hope to see you guys next week and have an awesome week. <laughs>